When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everyone, Ray here. I would like to once again encourage you to check out best-selling author Simon Scarrow's brisk and chilling new historical mystery set in 1940 Berlin, Dead of Night. Criminal police inspector Horst Schenka is a seasoned and conflicted detective, but what he is not is supportive of the Third Reich, thus putting a target on his back, and soon the Nazi brass are warning him to shut down his investigations into a series of murders that initially seem unconnected. In the process, he will uncover a stomach-churning SS scheme, and nothing ends well when dealing with the SS. Detective Schenke's world is already one of terror, fear, murder, and power by any means necessary, and those same techniques will be turned against him. Simon Scarrow is a London Sunday Times number one best-selling historical thriller author who has sold more than five million books. His gift for accuracy, tension, and dread will leave you breathless. Dead of Night from Kensington Publishing is available everywhere books are sold. Hello, and thank you for listening to the History of World War II podcast, episode 456, The Stalin Line, Merely the Shadow of a Dream. Last time, though the Soviet 5th and 6th Armies were able to deliver a few headaches to Army Group South, the Panzers were winning overall. General Kapanos was forced to retreat in this area. But his next defense would come at the Stalin line, if his men could get there in time and set up. And those Panzers were right behind them. Back on June 28th, while Soviet and German infantry were fighting in a cemetery in Lvov, just before its loss, von Rundstedt, anticipating the outcome, issued order number two, the race to the Stalin line. The line itself had been abandoned when the Molotov-Ribbentrop Pact was signed. Now Moscow started building a new defensive line, the Molotov Line, further west, near its new border with Nazi Germany. Problem was, while that construction was going on, the guns from the Stalin line were removed and put into storage. So when the Germans came charging across the barely begun Molotov line, it was of no help. And now Moscow rushed to revive the Stalin line, though it would prove little better than the one named after the Soviet foreign minister. Though guns had been removed from the Stalin line, the large fortifications at important river crossings were still in place, and retreating Russian troops started manning these posts. Next, some artillery with the retreating men were put into place, as were a few, relative few, sent forward from the east. But it was not going to be anywhere near as strong as had been planned, before being abandoned. In between the cobwebbed installations and forts, men stood in line, connecting them, and they would have to do. As part of General Mackison's 3rd Motorized Corps drove a bit south and then to the east, they met weaker resistance, as the Soviets were also running to the east, and soon that part of Mackison's corps was ahead of all other German forces. 
But by the first week of July, Army Group South pretty much had men along the majority of the Stalin line in their sector. It was time to attack. As for the mentioned thick-walled fortifications at river crossings, the Germans brought forward their 210mm mortars. These eventually tore down the walls and chased away Soviet infantry, but there were only so many to hand. Added to this, the Soviet infantry, artillery, and aircraft overhead worked reasonably well together, mostly out of despair. The southern sector had not suffered the massive pockets of surrounded Russian troops as had happened with engaging with Army Group Center, and they did not want that to happen here and now. When the 16th Panzer Division reached Ziavgale, near Novgorod, itself due west of Kiev, they found thick bunkers covered by impressive artillery, anti-tank, and AA defenses. Novgorod was just behind what existed of the wall in this area, and the idea was to force the Germans to the south and then to the east. They were trying to channel the Germans. But von Rundstedt had his own plans and ordered his men to attack. But this soon turned out to be a mistake. Proving this, three company commanders of the 108th Rifle Regiment and three officers of the 4th Armored Artillery Regiment were killed on July 7th. To be sure, the Germans had been firing shells at the defenses since 4.30 a.m., yet the bunkers to either side of the needed road still held defiant. By early afternoon, the German casualties were piling up, and no progress was being made. So, the men were ordered back to be replaced by more Stuka attacks. At 3.30 p.m., the bombers were called off, and the shock troops went in. The air raids had forced the Soviets' heads down, which allowed the German forces to approach the bunkers relatively safely. Still, it was intense and close-quarter fighting. And no matter how many Russians were killed, within sight of their comrades, the last remaining men in a group would not surrender. So the Germans advanced, but lost men along the way. Only by that evening was the first bunker penetrated. The Germans were down to about 40 men per company now, which can usually hold anywhere from 100 to 250 men. Thus, their losses were horrendous, but they were finally seeing results. This podcast could not exist without the help of sponsors like Yahoo Finance. When it comes to your financial future, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, you've invested all that you can. Now, you need to take those investments to the next level by using what every financial great uses, Yahoo Finance. I've stressed this in my podcast about command and control, which is exactly what Yahoo Finance is. You can see all your investments and retirement accounts in one place. You can consolidate your views from multiple accounts into one hub and access the expert analysis you need to tend to your entire portfolio with confidence. Yahoo Finance has been around for more than 25 years, and they've worked things out. You've got the tools you need right at your fingertips. I open up my Yahoo Finance, and within seconds, I can see how my stocks and investments are doing. And basically, investing is all about growth. And in order to grow, you need to know what's going on. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor. YahooFinance.com, the number one financial destination, YahooFinance.com.
That's yahoofinance.com. As the fighting around and for the bunkers at Ziegel continued until July 8th, the 25th Motorized Infantry Division, the 299th Infantry Division, and the entirety of the Corps' artillery were committed to this battle. And here, as at other places, numbers would eventually tell. But this massive manpower-draining contest was only one of several in the area. About 12 miles or 19 kilometers southeast of Novgorod, still on the way to Kiev, was the town of Golsk. Fortunately, the 13th Panzer did not have to struggle as mightily to take it. But to their left or north, the 14th Panzer was, as we have seen, having a devil of a time trying to enter Novgorod proper. The defenses there had been built up on Stalin's orders, and thus the manpower and equipment were available to stymie the German timetable. As these two attacks were vital, the gap in between these two forces was covered by the German 25th Motorized, and above them all, Fliegerkorps 5 kept the air mostly friendly to the Germans. The 14th Panzer continued to struggle, but at least they kept the Russians there tied down. This allowed the 13th Panzer to take Golsk again to Novgorod southeast. Point is, they were free to head further to the southeast, a less defended area, and capture the city of Berdichev, another section close to the Stalin line. Below this, there were no fortifications, only men and weapons. These were pushed aside, and two days later, Zithomir, to the northeast of Berdichev, was taken. Now the Stalin line was a line in name only. With numerous, though costly, holes punched through it, von Kleist was able to send the 3rd Panzer Corps ahead with the goal of capturing Kiev as a deep bridgehead east of the Dnieper. Yet to make sure that the Russians did not focus overwhelming forces on protecting Kiev, 14th Panzer Corps was to head for Fastov and Kasatin, both to the southwest of Kiev, giving them a wider front should they need to go around the city. To be sure, Novgorod was still being defiant, but it would soon be enveloped by German infantry, and not until August 15th would it fall. Barbarossa had been going on for just under three weeks now, but the changes being made by the Stavka started to show results. On July 7th, Zhukov was able to order Kirponos' southwest front to attack the recently lost Berdichev, again southeast of Novgorod and halfway to Kiev. And an attack was launched. Two days later, Kirponos, taking his cue from Zhukov, launched his own offensive at Bronchi, less than 10 miles in front of or to the east of Novgorod, by having the 5th Army hit there. Here, the Russians obviously did not want Novgorod completely surrounded and cut off. And if the counterattacks to the southwest of Novgorod were successful, then it may be the Germans having their supply lines cut and threatened with encirclement. Now, issuing orders is not the same thing as getting results. Point is, improved chain of command and communications were allowing the Russians to react much faster. Thus, the coming war for Kiev had created two massive battles, one for Novgorod and the other for the area to the southeast of it, halfway to Kiev. But here's where the Russians were given a small assist as the Germans fought over the best way to proceed. 
Hitler wanted 1st Panzer Group to split into two. One half would go for Kiev, and the other would make for the mighty bend in the Dnieper River to the southeast of Kiev. A successful bridgehead there would open up the way to the Donitz Basin and the Crimea, whereas the OKH, or Army High Command, wanted the 6th Army's infantry to tie down and eventually take Kiev, leaving the panzers altogether to make for the Dnieper to create that bridgehead. But then Hitler remembered where he was on the Nazi organizational chart and simply issued an order, saying the counterattacking Soviet forces to the southeast of Novgorod were to be encircled near Venenitsa, even further south, and about 125 miles or 201 kilometers due south of Zithomir. So he would get his way until he didn't. The entire argument was decided, as usual, by events on the ground. As the German high command tried to decide its next course of action, elements of the 13th Panzer had not only reached close to Kiev, but had crossed the Erpen River, specifically that part of it that was only 20 miles or 32 kilometers in front of the city, and that river had served as the first line of defense for the Russians. To not take advantage of this breach would be foolish in the extreme. That was the good reason, but there was also a bad reason. Remember all those changes that would hopefully improve the Stavka's ability to respond? Well, the latest one was to create another layer of command, specifically for the two sectors, the southwest and southern fronts. Now, Marshal Bunyeni was in command of this theater, and his political commissar, one N.S. Khrushchev, would order attack after attack. Yes, many men would die, but hopefully the Germans would be held up. And Bunyeni's action this day, hell, this minute attitude, trickled down the line. As things stood, with the spearhead of the 13th Panzer nearing Kiev, this drive had split the Russian defense. Now the Soviet 5th Army was pushed north of this greatest German penetration, just in front of Kiev, leaving the 6th and 12th Armies to the south of it. In reaction, Bunyeni opened up the do-not-open-unless-an-emergency cabinet and ordered forward the rest of his mechanized forces available to him. Hence, the 9th Mechanized Corps, though down to 64 tanks, along with the 19th and 22nd Mechanized Corps, these last two only had 30 tanks each, were to position themselves to the north of the split and go hard at von Reichenau's forces. Meanwhile, the 4th 15th and 16th mechanized would strike in the south, near Berdichev. And flying over these battles, though the Germans had been pretty dominant so far, the 16th, 18th, 19th, and 62nd Air Divisions, Soviet, were to assist the ground assault and cause as much trouble for the Germans as they could, when opportunities arose. Suddenly, the lead elements of the 13th Panzer, expecting to be hailed as heroes, saw fighting to the left of them, and fighting to the right of them, and they could guess what the next step would be. If those Russian forces, to both sides of them, could push back their comrades, then some of those forces could then turn and cut them off. In fact, as this fighting went on from July 13th through the 18th, the 13th Panzer received fewer and fewer supplies. Of course, the Germans could not allow this, so also threw into this developing meat grinder what they 
had left. As the Pripyat Marshes is just north of Kiev, the majority of this fighting was a little bit to the north, in front of, but mostly to the southwest of Kiev. So the 14th Panzer was sent to Makarov, located just behind the 13th Panzer spearhead, so no Russians could get in behind them. Also, the Liebstandata SS Adolf Hitler Panzer Division was sent to Zithomir, again to the southwest of Kiev, as the 25th Motor Division there was taking on nine Soviet rifle divisions. As the situation now stood, all this fighting was about the German corridor near Zithomir that kept the 13th Panzer alive and in this fight, thus continuing to threaten Kiev. As the days went by with Bunyeni throwing in everything he had, that corridor shifted or floated to the north or south as events dictated. So von Rundstedt threw in more Stukas. The Russians used their larger number of artillery pieces when they could, to the point that shells were now running low. As Zithomir is due west of Kiev and Berdichev is to the south of Zithomir, the Soviet counterattack first focused on taking Berdichev to create a path to Zithomir. But with supplies of all kinds running low, Bunyeni still ordered the men forward and the men obeyed throwing their bodies literally at the Germans at Berdichev, with little to no artillery support as the fighting went on. The Panzers won these battles time and again, but each time they lost men, materiel, and most importantly, time. By July 19th, the corridor, for all of its fluctuations, had remained, but just... To wit, Hitler's order to encircle the southern Soviet counterattacking forces was now not possible. But something had to change, as this could not go on forever, as it was not a part of the overall invasion plan. So, taking what ground they did capture, it was decided that the 1st Panzer Group, which had been on its way to Kiev, would turn south, their only way forward, barely. Well, not so much forward, but hopefully it would lead to that. Again, Hitler's trap was to have been at Venitsa, south of Berdichev, but now the goal was to reach for the city Uman, due south of Kiev, and thus to the southeast of Venitsa. So, it was progress of a kind. It wasn't looking good for Kurpana's southwestern front, and his best hope now was the Dnieper River itself and the Soviet artillery on its far bank. To the north of Kiev, von Reichenau had done his job, holding up the Soviet 5th Army, while other German forces destroyed or encircled the Soviet 6th and 12th Armies. But as we have seen, that was no longer the plan. And now that the nexus of Army Group South was going to be at Uman, that's where von Kleist's panzers were ordered to go. Now, Hitler had chosen Venitsa for his trap, as there were several Soviet armies in that area already. Point is, they were still holding their ground, which is why he wanted them destroyed. But whether this was realized at the time or not, if the Germans could get to Uman with respectable numbers, a trap for the Soviet southern forces could still be formed, just a bit further east, at Uman. Unfortunately, as von Kleist's panzers and the 17th Army drove to the southeast, they were held up, 
but not by Soviet resistance, but by rain and the mud it created. This helped Korpanas, who saw the building trap and ordered a pullback from Venitsa. The Soviet 16th and 12th armies, what was left of them, retreated in good order to the southeast. Now, it can be argued that much of this headache, not trapping entire Soviet armies, not taking Venitsa through sheer force, and puncturing the Stalin line, but not earlier, creating even more holes, can be laid at Hitler's feet. When Barbarossa was being planned, the German army staff asked if Hungary should be involved, as Romania had been. Looking at a map, as northern Hungary actually touches Soviet-controlled territory, a large push from there with the rest of Army Group South could have seen an attack on Venitsa sooner, before Red Army reinforcements were sent there. And if that Soviet bulwark could have been smashed sooner, well, the entire region may have fallen, without all these cataclysmic struggles that cost the invaders dearly. But Hitler did not trust the Hungarians. He didn't think they supported him enough, and to a degree, that's true. But what he missed out on. No, he was mad that they did not help enough during the Munich Agreement or when Poland was invaded. But they jumped into Hitler's camp on June 27, 1940, when supposed Soviet bombers struck some of their oil fields. The damage was not great, but the panic was. In truth, the bombers were probably Romanian, following Hitler's orders. The result was that Hungary offered up a 24,000-man army labeled the Fast Corps, which turned out to be anything but. Yet even then, Hitler would not allow Hungary to participate in the planning of his coming Russian invasion. They simply were not worthy. Back to the fighting... With the Russians pulling back from Venitsa, it would eventually be occupied by the slower 17th Army of von Stupenegel. Finally, they were coming forward, so this may work out. Venitsa was taken. The invaders were threatening Kiev and soon Uman, where the Soviets were in the process of drawing up a new defensive line. If all that Army Group South was could be brought to bear, then perhaps... All these, and more, would fall. Then, it was on to the Crimea. Greetings, everyone, from Central Virginia. So, I just want to say hi to some uh, some of the latest members. Uh, the first one is Thomas Stockel from K-City, Michigan. See, Thomas, I told you I would butcher it. Ha, who wins? Wait a minute, that, that, that's not right. Anyway, I hope Thomas is okay with this. He sent me something about his family during the war, and I'm just going to read a little bit of it, and I hope he's okay. So his, um, his father who was in the war, his parents died when he was very, very young. So I'll just pick up with that. Uh, he, this is Thomas's father, he and his young brothers, brother enlisted in the Marines January 6, 1940. They were at Pearl Harbor on the day of the attack. They were both at church at the time. Uh, I think they were about two miles away from the base. After they helped get Pearl Harbor cleaned up, that's when they joined the Marines and they would, uh, and his brother, he and his brother would go on to be in a group called the Flying Boxcars, which uh, we'll get to eventually. So Thomas, thank you very much. And I love the story. Um, and if you do find a copy of any more information, please send it to me. That would be great. Uh, Andy Jameson from Cornwall, UK. 
Hello, Andy. Thank you. I've always wanted to go there. I'm so jealous you get to see it every day. One day, one day I will get there. But then I just have a question in general. I wonder if Matt Keynes knows that his wife, Casey Keynes, is the best wife in the world. Why? Because she donated on his behalf. Hopefully, you know, she used money for his account, but that's not the point. It's not the point. I just need him to know in case he forgot it somewhere along the way, she's the best wife in the world. She didn't ask me to say that. I, I just assumed it because, again, she donated on your behalf. So, Matt, Casey, thank you very much for the support, and I hope you enjoyed the episode. Take care, everyone. Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app, and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast.